and welcome everybody to this podcast on behalf of Guild Financial Advisory, Masters of Finance. My guest today is Agam Jain. Agam is an old friend, I'm pleased to say. He's founder and chief exec of Vector Capital PLC, listed on the AIM market. It's a very interesting business, as you will hear during the course of the next few minutes. But Agam, you had a career before you got involved in Vector, and it wasn't in this country. And I don't think you and I have talked about it much in the past. Tell me about it. I'd like to, I'd like to know more. Oh, well, good afternoon, everybody. Right, so my career leading up to the IPO for Vector. So a little bit about myself. So I've, I did a degree at uh, Imperial in physics. And then in my early career, I was involved in um, a sales role. And gradually in uh, 1985, I started a company called JX, which eventually became very, very successful in the health technology sector. And one of the things that people would have noticed in the last 20 years is that when you went to a doctor's surgery or a hospital, you wouldn't go up to the reception to tell them that you've arrived for your appointment, but you would check yourself in. And then you would have these boards in, in the surgeries and in the hospitals directing you to the uh, consultant that you're going to see. So basically, it automated the patient flow in the health sector. So that was a very successful business. And then what we did is um, we had a, a licensee in uh, Australia, and he suggested that there was a big potential there and we should um, do an IPO for it. And in 2015, then, we ended up listing on the Australian Stock Exchange. So I, I think that sort of gives a little bit of background about where we were before Vector. And where is the company now that you listed in Australia? Yeah, it's still um, operating. It's still running successfully in the UK and Australia. Good. Uh, I stayed on as a non-exec director for a couple of years, uh, but then uh, when I decided to focus on the, the current role, then, then, I, I, then I left. Because anything I do, I like to sort of give my 100% to. Indeed, very important. Vector, how did that come about? Okay, so... Um, Whilst the JX um, was doing very well, we were generating surplus capital that we didn't need for any further research and development. And so, uh, as you know, when you put it in the banks, you get virtually nothing. So what uh, we ended up doing is started lending it out. So 1999 was our first secured loan, albeit a small one at 25000 uh, But then we never looked back. And the business grew organically as a side activity to the technology business. And then once the um, technology business had been IPO'd, then I thought, you know, after a day of retirement that um, uh, maybe this is something now. <laughs> that uh, oh, You mean yeah. you, you cut the lawn in the morning and played, and played golf in the afternoon and, that's it. and that was it. For... That was it. So I thought, you know, there's a massive potential here. And, um, you know, we've got a lot of uh, experience that we built up over the years. So the first thing I, I did was um, started thinking about making sure that we build up a, a decent software platform so that, um, you know, we make the infrastructure now for future growth. And so that was my first focus. Remind me when that was that you were doing So this, this was um, effectively, so December 2015, right. uh, uh, JX Technology was IPO'd. Yep. And the uh, 1st of January... 2016 
was really when I thought, right, this is it now, let's work on the software platform. So now I had a bit of a um, background in, uh, in software platforms because uh, in the previous business in um, 2006, we were the first adopters of a fantastic system from the USA called NetSuite. I still sing its praises. It was the first completely cloud-based enterprise management system. And it was just way ahead of other things like Sage and Act and, and normal spreadsheets, etc., that people used to use to run their businesses then. This was literally joined up software. Uh, so you could have everything from stock control, quotations, you know, uh, uh, listing all your products. And then once people accepted your quotations, you could turn them into orders, delivery notes, automatic stock control all the time. And then they're on to do the accounts, the invoicing, statements, etc. The total package end to end. And I was very impressed with that. And because of that, we always kept our head count down. And uh, we were way ahead of our uh, business competition at that time because of the system we had. And, and have I noticed recently that your headcount is still as few as eight people? Exactly. Uh, I'd say nine now. Nine, right. Okay. That's direct employees. Obviously, yeah. then we've got a, a network of consultants of and brokers, etc. But we managed that because um, when I then set out to design the, uh, the software platform, it was based on the experience that we'd had over the previous 10-odd uh, years on, on the Oracle's NetSuite. Uh, eventually, Oracle bought NetSuite. Uh, and then I thought, well, now what we're going to do is build one that's specialized for the mortgage lending market. Okay, we're uh, into what is it now? 2022. So into year six and seven of its development, and through iteration and improvements, uh, it's become a really powerful and fantastic product. I have noticed uh, one of the things that distinguishes you from many of your competitors is your very low bad debt rate. Um, I was going to talk about this later on, but it's it's so much in my mind because it mm. is significant mm. and you make reference to it. Mm. How do you manage to achieve that? Okay, so I, I think there's um, no shortcut for getting the fundamentals right. Okay, so first of all, whenever you do a loan transaction, what as a, as a, as a lender everybody looks for is the security should be solid. We tend to do 99% of our loans are first legal charge. Okay, uh, very few will do as a second charge, but never anything without uh, security in the form of land or property. Yep. Uh, so that always gives us some assurance that as long as we've got the valuation right and the loan to value right, when things do go bad, we're in a position that we can normally recover at least the capital amount. Yep. I'm not saying that we always manage to recover the accrued interest and the costs of recovery but we tend to always get the the main capital back at least, okay? Yes. And so what we have to write off uh, has been quite negligible in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the revenues overall. And long may it continue, but, you know, uh, uh, it's, uh, only, you know, your future bad debts are going to be as, as long as we can carry on sticking to the same fundamentals and get the loan to value and the security right. You get your business through brokers. Um, you don't employ, they're self-employed. Um, they bring you clients and uh, presumably share in money generated therefrom. They must have a pretty good idea of what you're likely to take on and what you're not likely to take on. 
Is that right? Yes, because... Um, Do you therefore, fortunately, only work with brokers who bring you decent quality deals? And is that good fortune, or have you trained them or done something to bring that about? I'm not putting it terribly well, but I think you know what I'm getting at. No, I do. So the way uh, brokers, uh, brokers are not paid fees just for introducing clients. Uh, the way the market works is a broker earns an arrangement fee when a deal completes. So it's in the interests of the broker uh, not to waste his time by bringing deals to a lender that fit the criteria that the lender is explained to him, yep. because then that will then have a chance of actually going through the due diligence and successfully completing so that the broker can get paid. Okay, So over the many years that we've been uh, trading, the broker network that we deal with know what it is to bring to Vector. So, for example, um, loans that tick all the boxes, for example, a home mortgage, Okay, the broker would not bring to Vector. He would take to somebody like Halifax or NatWest or one of the big high street lenders. But so what type of loans would he bring to us? He would bring loans that are slightly more complicated, are business to business. So people that are small property developers, for example, or buying an investment property or where there's certain issues that uh, a, a large lender cannot sort of tick all the boxes and where there's a bit of... Um, uh, discretion and uh, overview required. So they're the type of prospects that would be brought to Vector. Uh, and that's where Vector excels. It can take a view, always looking at the security, but it can then sort of be accommodating on, on other factors to try and get the loan through uh, and help the property investor or property developer to uh, achieve his project. Again, how many of these brokers do you regularly do business with, would you say? We limit ourselves um, to around six or seven that are live and active yep. regularly. Yep. Having said that, we've got a, a very large database of relationships that um, we haven't sort of encouraged simply because of the capacity the, uh, that we have. Yep. Because currently demand uh, exceeds supply. But their people uh, in future, as we expand, will be able to take more of them on. Right. But I think you've answered my question. Of those six or seven people, they're almost always going to come up with something that you're likely to do because yes. they know you well and you know them well. Yes. And neither of you is in the business of wasting time. That's it. And, and there are, will be a few that uh, uh, we can't sort out because, you know, there's fund, uh, fundamental issues that, you know, can't be resolved. But I would say the majority of proposals that we get, we try and accept uh, and get them through. So what happens next? Your business is in the south of England in the main. Yep. You have grown nicely since you came to the market. You are talking of further growth during the current year. You're in a business which is very fragmented. Many of your so-called competitors are pretty mixed, but there will be acquisition opportunities. Do you have that in mind as a possible way forward? Well, we've uh, thought about this long and hard because um, one of the issues that I faced in the, the technology business previously was when we had the capital 
and we thought, well, shall we go down the acquisition route? And one of the challenges uh, that we faced is that, um, you know, to absorb a new company with its separate technology platforms, its separate working practice, et cetera, et cetera, can be quite a hard thing to digest, okay, and, and get right. And do we need to worry about that when we've got so much demand that we are not able to meet anyway? So my current thoughts are that acquisition probably isn't the right route for us over the short term. What's the right route for us is to take advantage of the demand that we've got out there and grow faster organically. How can you achieve that? At the moment, we need to go back to the market uh, when the conditions are right. Uh, maybe, obviously, I can't say when that will be yep. and raise a, another round of capital yep. against which we can then get further institutional debt finance. Yes. Yeah. So yes. that that's our roadmap. That makes perfect sense. Now, the next question is one that I've had on my mind since you and I first met two or three years ago. To what extent is this business reliant upon the talent of Agam Jane to succeed? And how flexible are you? Can you grow bigger? If we've got a bit of time, uh, uh, I, I used to have this um, accountant who, who was also trying to be a management consultant for us. This is about 20 years ago. Yep. And he gave me this very uh, good little book. And I never read books, um, just haven't got the time or the inclination. And it was called, um, I think, something about the, the E-Factor. And I, I read it on a, a flight to Australia or something once where I had plenty of time. And uh, the thing that that book sort of explained was that whenever you're running a business, that the owner or the CEO should be concentrating on building the process and a system and so as to not be inside the business, but to be like a helicopter viewing it from above yes. and making sure the system and the process is operating, okay? Yes. And one of the examples that was given was about McDonald's. They've got everything sort of systemized and process-driven that it doesn't really matter what level of category of staff. Obviously, the better you get, the you know, it's better, but they can, they're not reliant on individual staff right leaving or, uh, you know, they can get somebody to come in because everything yep. is so yep. well organized in terms of system. So I managed to do that at, at the, the technology business in JX, whereas whether I was there or not, the, the, the company would operate. Yes. Okay. Now, I've tried with the same approach at Vector. Okay. I am, uh, as CEOs normally do, wear many hats, but I've tried to make it as process driven as possible. So the answer to your question is, yes, it still depends a little bit on myself, but I will be easily replaceable when we're big enough to replace me. Thank you. You can see why I asked the question. Yeah. Because I'm aware that your personal contribution has been a huge part mm. of the historic growth of this company. But remember, when it's all organized, that's the time that you can get somebody, you know, from the market that's got an experience of working in another a lending company or a bank, and they can then almost be a manager for it, yeah. Co-funding. I found uh, uh, something on that when I was looking around, something very recent and very new. This is a recent and new venture of yours. Okay, it was an idea we explored last year uh, where we thought there might be some interest in, in sort of high net worths and entrepreneurs 
who would want a, a higher return on their funds, plus they would want security. So we thought that when we issued l- new loans, we could get a co-funder to come in with us yep. as a junior partner and have a share of the first charge that we've got as security. Now, I found that we haven't managed to really get a lot of traction on that. And all the palaver of finding individual H&Ws and then doing all the legal arrangements to give them a share of the security, etc., versus the fact that we've got very good and supportive institutional debt finance. So at the moment, it's something that we've spent a bit of time understanding and setting out as an offering. Uh, We've had little take up and we haven't been pushing it uh, simply because, you know, the facilities that we get from the institutional lenders is just so much easier for us. It works and works so well for you. Yeah. Dealing with individuals, then it can bring in all sorts of difficult to handle. Yeah. So it's a possibility for the future. But at the moment, both the the institutional lines that we've got are very supportive and and ready to keep growing. It did occur to me, though, when I had a quick look at this clip that I found this morning, that I wondered if an involvement like that would attract the attention of the FCA. Well, no, we've had it all legally vetted and, and done properly. It wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, it, it wouldn't uh, fall into that category no. that it needs to be regulated. But, but will you in due course need to be, do you think? At the moment, there's no sort of noises um, uh, from government about regulating business-to-business finance. And I don't see how they would do it. And we aren't, we, know, we don't trespass into the regulated zone, yeah. which is people buying uh, houses to live in. Yeah. So we just uh, don't go there. And we wouldn't be competitive in that zone anyway. So the area that we're in, it's very unlikely that it would get regulated. Uh, but even if it did, it, it, it's not a problem uh, in that our systems and processes are probably doing all the things that, are, that would have been required for a regulated uh, business to do anyway. Can we touch briefly, Agam, on the property market? Mm. Um, we read in our press that we're about to have a major, huge crash in in pr- house prices. Um, they continue to go up. Um, we are aware that for commercial property can be a bit variable, depending on what, what, what it is and which part of the country. How are you viewing property the property sector from where you're sitting. Right. So I've gone through two recessions, okay? I still cannot believe that uh, there'll actually be a complete property crash. What I think will happen, there will obviously be periods of price correction. There'll be periods when the market is depressed, okay? Uh, But fundamentally... I can't see it stopping. If you think about the way the UK population has grown over the last 10 years versus the the rate of growth of population in the 60s or the 70s, there's so much immigration going on. And all of these people that have entered the country in the last 10 years, you know, are going to work. They'll want to then own properties. So there is that underlying demand that's going to be there for the next few years. I can't see that dying off, okay? So fundamentally, I think the property market will in the medium term carry on growing. Uh, That's not to say that there isn't a correction around the corner. For the last three years, I've been pondering on this. When will that correction come? But it hasn't come in the last three years. (laughs) And I don't know if it's going to come in the next month or in the next three years. But 
one of the things that, uh, uh, that mortgage lenders should be doing, and we're certainly doing, is not to get to the silly things that people did in the last recession, which was do 95% or 110% loans. You know, even if our competition, there's some people that are doing 90%, etc. cetera. Uh, but no, no, thank you. We'll stick to maximum 75% on residential. And sometimes we'll go up to 65% on commercial where we're valuing it at its lowest valuation. I had a quick look at the client section on your website and the thought occurred to me that you are or have been financing quite a lot of conversion work. Is that right? Yes, there, there's a, there was a period, I think it's coming to an end now, where um, a lot of people had bought uh, office buildings uh, very cheap and then had to do no external works but internally convert the offices into flats. Yes. And um, everybody made a, a lot of profit during that uh, exercise. But I think office buildings are becoming more and more scarce now for people to buy up because they've already been bought, especially in my region. I find that a lot of the, you know, the purpose-built office buildings have gone now. They've become blocks of flats. I think it's very sad, but, you know, that's it what is. it is. It yeah. is. Yeah. So where is the big growth sector for Vector in the next couple of years, would you say? I think more of the same. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think we need to find any new niches. I don't think we want to do anything too clever. I think uh, that we're getting a, a level of demand that we can't currently uh, satisfy. And if we just do more of the same for the next two years, uh, that'll give us very good growth rates. Agon, thank you. It has been a joy and privilege to have you here today in, in conversation. I wish you and Vector well. This is me, John Bridges, Guild Financial Advisory, Masters of Finance, thanking my audience very much indeed for listening to this. And thank you, and see you again soon. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast app. This content is issued by Guild Financial Advisory Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority for Designated Investment Business and is a member of the Aquis Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decision regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Guild Financial Advisory. Please note that participants within this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed. <laughs>